0: Good morning church. My name is Austin Lewandowski. My wife Bailey and I have been coming to Cross Point since 2020. Uh, we lead a community group, and it is a joy to be here with you today. Today's scripture reading will be from First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter two, verse five from the Christian Standard Bible. "For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, uh, we've been out here for
1: years. This is a first. We've been rained out. We've been, uh, it's been chilly. Today is a blustery one. So thanks for coming out. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in uh, chapter 2 there, and then chapter 1, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1, and then getting to uh, verse 5 of chapter 2. This morning, we're continuing our series, Grounded and Growing, and we're working our way through 1 Corinthians over the next uh, several months. It's been encouraging to hear from community group members of how, if their group is studying 1 Corinthians, they're enjoying that, that overlap between studying it in group and then hearing it on Sunday mornings as well as reading it on their own in their personal time. I'd encourage you, if you're not on a Bible reading plan, to, uh, to spend time in 1 Corinthians just reading a chapter a, day, chapter a day, dwelling in the Scriptures in that way. The Gospel of God's Grace The good news of Jesus Christ makes no sense to the world. It's countercultural. It's upside down from how the world thinks and how it operates. In our world, there, there are two great commodities, among others, that are valued or esteemed. Wisdom and power. Said another couple ways. Intellect and authority. Knowledge and influence. These are two ways that the world says you can climb the social ladder and find your identity. That you can climb it by amassing knowledge, gaining intellect. And you can also climb the social ladder by by gaining power and authority. And one way you can gain power and authority is by gaining intellect and appearing sophisticated. And these have been valued since the days of the New Testament, including here in the city of Corinth, where Paul is writing this this letter to, to the church of God at Corinth. In the city of Corinth, power and status and position they were not something you were born into. You didn't get them because of your last name. Instead, you got them because you worked for them. A self-made man, a self-made woman. That's how you achieved greatness in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of Corinth. But as disciples of Jesus, Paul is calling this church to live differently, to live counterculturally, to follow instead the patterns, the ways, the wisdom of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, and, and not the patterns and the ways of the world that are opposed to the things of God. We too, as followers of Jesus, want to live counterculturally because we're living for a different king, the King of Kings. The King is not us. We're living for a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom, and not a kingdom of this world. And so, to these worldly values, of wisdom and power, intellect and authority, the kingdom of God is upside down from how the world sees them. The world says gain wisdom and power so you can make much of yourself and boast in yourself. And the kingdom of God says though, wisdom is found not in looking into yourself or to the philosophies of this age, but instead looking to the Lord who embodies wisdom. Wisdom is found through living in awe of the Lord and seeking to align your life with his ways so that you might live a life of loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. The kingdom of God says power is found not in beating your own chest, but in humbling yourself before the one who has all authority and power. That strength is found not in self, but through faith in, in your Savior. That his strength is actually most on display in our weakness. In this passage, Paul is calling the calling the people to ultimately not boast in themselves, but in Jesus alone, to make much of Jesus and his good news. And at the core of the gospel is the cross of Christ. We pick it up in chapter 1, verse 17. Paul continues to remind the Corinthian church about how the cross is so central. He says this in verse 17 through 19. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolish, foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to us who are being saved. For, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. A crucifixion was a horrible way to die. The cross was humiliating. It was cruel. It was one of the most, if not the most, worst ways that humanity's ever created, invented to destroy another human life. A Roman statesman said at the time, The cross, it speaks of that which is so shameful, so horrible. It should never be mentioned in polite society. So this wasn't the icebreaker before small group. This wasn't polite conversation to say, hey, how about that weather? Boy, it was windy today. Hey, did you hear about the criminal who was crucified last week? Those two didn't go together. The symbol of a cross was despised. It wasn't something you put around your neck. It was, the, it was a form of capital punishment reserved for the worst of the worst. And yet here Paul is saying the cross is central, central to our faith. Verses 20 and 21, where's the one who is wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the, where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. There is no wise man, no teacher, no debater who can do what Jesus has done. In our world, we value, again, knowledge and intelligence. And Paul is not saying those are bad or sinful. He was an educated man himself. But so often we just assume that those who know a lot then must automatically know a lot about God. And that's a terrible assumption to make because oftentimes they seek to know about God but without first knowing the cross. You and I can't know the one true living God without first knowing and going through the cross. Charles Spurgeon said this, It's certain that a blind man is no judge of colors, a deaf man is no judge of sound, and a man who has never been quickened into spiritual life can have no judgment as to spiritual things. This is what Paul is saying. If we want to know what it means to follow Jesus and to be able to know God in relationship, then we first need to know know the cross. Because on the cross, we see both the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. We see that our sin has tragic consequences. And the Lord Jesus, who came in the fullness of grace and truth, willingly laid his life down, paid the price in full, for those consequences of sin, his death for our life, his sacrifice for our salvation. In our world, there are plenty of intellectual people seeking to teach about who God is. And Paul is saying, if the cross is not central to their teaching, if there is no mention of Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised to life on the third day, then their counsel will not lead us to the God of the Bible. Then the triune God who is eternal and personal Brothers and sisters, we must be wise and discerning in who we receive counsel and teaching from. Verses 22 through 25 For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. The Jews just kept wanting more signs, more miracles, more wonders done by Jesus, but no amount of of miracles was going to lead to them, lead to saving faith, lead them to put their trust in Jesus. Even those who saw the miracles firsthand of Jesus, many of those still turned away from him. The Greeks... They valued wisdom. And to think that the Son of God, the the Messiah, the promised hero, would die, lay down his life for others, it doesn't seem to make sense at all. It it lacked wisdom in their minds. It seems utterly foolish. By his death we live? It doesn't make sense to the Greek. Even as you read the Gospel accounts, it, it doesn't make sense to the disciples of Jesus either. Suffering and death of the Messiah, let alone in the public humiliating way of the cross didn't fit how they saw this redemption story going. But when we look at the cross, we are reminded of this truth found in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 9 then, for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As one commentator says, God's wisdom is not man's wisdom multiplied to the highest degree. God's wisdom instead is a wisdom of a different order altogether. Paul says in verse 23 that the cross is often a stumbling block. For some of you who don't wholeheartedly trust in Jesus yet, this is your reality. Jesus and the cross is still your stumbling block. You believe there's right and wrong. Maybe you, you even believe in a divine being, a higher power. Maybe you even believe that, that this life is not the end, but you're stumbling over, you're tripping over Jesus and the cross. When you see the cross, you see death, but, but you have yet to see that that death was, was laid down for your sin, to pay the price of your sin, and that apart from trusting in the work of the cross, that you're still separated from the creator God who desires relationship with you. Maybe you're thinking, I'm good enough without the cross. I can deal with my own sin in my own strength. Or you're looking at other people thinking, well, th- that person over there, that person I read about on the Internet the other day, well, th- that person really needs forgiveness, but I'm not so bad, comparatively speaking. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't deserve the death of Jesus in my place. I'm unlovable. I'm too broken. Why would anyone lay, th- lay their life down for for me, I've done too much or I've had too much done to me. Either way, whether you're puffing up with pride or sulking in shame or condemnation, may you hear the cross this morning. May you hear the gospel and see it as good news for your life and trust in the risen Jesus today. Paul is saying if you remove the cross, then you've removed the gospel. So this is, this is why simply becoming a moral person is, isn't what it means to follow Jesus. The gospel is not be moral or try harder or stop this or start that. The gospel is come and die so that you might live. The gospel is that Jesus died in your place so that you might live through faith in the Son of God. The gospel is that in Christ alone and through no other means there is salvation, there's freedom, there's forgiveness, there's peace. There's joy, and it's through faith alone and by grace alone. The subject of the cross is the clearest way to determine which road you're on and who you're truly following, if it's the narrow road that leads to life or the wide road that leads to destruction. Because for those who have been called by God, who are following Jesus as Lord and Savior, verse 24 is telling us that, that we fully believe that Christ crucified is the power of God for our salvation. We hear that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, that he was holy and lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day. One day is returning and we go, he died for me. He substituted himself for me so that I could find life. I've sinned against him. I trust in Jesus. I'm going to follow him with with my life. My life's devotion is to him. It pleased God to save people, through the simple sharing of the cross and the gospel, because because God gets the glory then. Loved ones, the, the Lord of the universe and all the heaven would rejoice in you trusting in him today, rejoicing in your repentance and faith in him, rejoicing in you transferring your trust away from yourself and putting it on to a sufficient Savior who beat death and rose again. Paul writes in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. That's my hope for us, Crosspoint, that we don't drift toward any sort of man-made or, or human wisdom thinking that it somehow has power. We don't settle for living for an eternal, or we don't settle for living for an earthly kingdom when we've been called to live for an eternal kingdom. Christ crucified is the foundation of our hope. It's the, it's the worst thing that's ever happened In the history of the world, and yet it's the best thing that's ever happened for those who have trusted in Christ. Because the cross is freedom. The cross is where wrath and love collided. The cross says that we've sinned, we've done wrong, wrong must be punished. And that condemnation, that punishment was laid upon Jesus. We see grace poured out. The most incredible act of selfless love in the history of the world is the cross. We preach Christ crucified. The word Christ gives the impression of, of power, triumph, Messiah, hero. Crucified gives the impression of weakness, defeat, humiliated. Christ crucified is the ultimate oxymoron. And that's why it appears foolish to those who haven't received Jesus by faith yet. This is why it's a stumbling block. And yet for those who have received Jesus, this is our cornerstone. This is what we celebrate. This is what brings us life. And where Paul goes next is to reinforce the truth that God's ways and wisdom are not our ways and wisdom. Verse 23, brothers and sisters, consider your calling as he writes to this church at Corinth. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Now, on first glance, that doesn't seem like the most complimentary thing the Corinthian church could receive from the Apostle Paul, like, Boy, thanks for sending us this letter. Love getting to this portion. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And then verse 27, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Humanly speaking, among the, the city of Corinth and how people talk, humanly speaking, the Corinthian people were nothing to write home about. Their resume wouldn't have stopped you dead in their tracks. They didn't come from great family lines. They were not self-made men and women. They didn't have connections and networks with those in power. They were simple. But God had called them to be saved. Consider the biblical track record of the people, that the type of people that God uses. Moses, the guy stuttered, lacked confidence, wasn't great at public speaking. David, small, undersized shepherd boy, anointed as king. In the New Testament, the angels announced the birth of Jesus not to kings and and governors or those in political power, but instead they announce it to shepherds, marginalized on the social ladder, the bottom of the social ladder. Mary, teenage girl, engaged to be married from the no-name town of Nazareth. Is called to be the mother of Jesus. Then the ministry of Jesus, he calls the outcast, the tax collector, the proud, the fisherman, the white collar, the blue collar, the prostitute to come near to him and follow him. Then we look even further. We look at the life of Paul, who prior to faith in Christ, prior to salvation, hated Christians, approved of their death, approved of their suffering, who thought he didn't need saving. And Jesus saves him in God's kingdom is notoriously upside down from the kingdom of this world. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's cliche, but it's true. So all are invited to come to the cross, lay their sin down, lay their lives down for the one who laid down his life for ours. So the children, the student, the elderly, the adult, the poor, the wealthy, the simple, the educated, the liar, the addicted, the proud, the self-righteous, the broken, the shamed, the guilty, the one on top of the social ladder, the one on the bottom, the one in between—all are called to trust in Jesus. To humble ourselves before Him, and there be find there find life. Notice that twice in this section we are charged to not boast in ourselves, but in our God. And the reason being is a phrase that keeps get, getting repeated there—that God has chosen. Before we were made, God saw us in our sin and rebellion, and he graciously set his favor on us. But not because of us, but because of him. So God's love for us is is not leading us to boast in, in ourselves for earning that, but instead boast in him because he simply loves us out of the goodness and the perfection of his heart. We see God has chosen. We also see God called in verse 24. God has called you out of darkness into light. God has called you away from the life that leads to death and into a life that leads to eternal joy and rest. He has called you to turn from trusting in yourself and trusting instead in Jesus and the cross. John Piper gives this analogy as it relates to God calling us. He writes, it was like the effectiveness of a command that someone uses to wake you up from a deep sleep. You lean over their ear while they are asleep and you cry out, wake up! Maybe you had to do that this morning to your kid before you got up. And they bolt upright, Piper writes. They did not hear the command and ponder it and then decide to wake up. The command accomplished what it commanded, to wake up. Piper goes on. That's the way God raises us from spiritual death, and only God can do it. He did it for you. He loved you this way. Ephesians 2.4 says it was because of God's great love that he made us alive when we were dead. Piper writes, you were about to sleep yourself into hell, and God woke you up to the ugliness of sin and the beauty of a great Savior. He loved you with a great love. It's an incredible truth to be reminded that the God who created this this world, the skies, the stars, spoke them into existence. He loves you. He loves us. And such truth doesn't lead us to pride but to humility. That we would boast in the love, mercy, and grace of our God. That it would cause us to be grateful and worship him, live devoted to him. Verse 30 and 31. It is from him that you're in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul reminded that us that we preach Christ crucified, and now Paul reminds us of realities. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who personally understand the significance of the cross, he gives us three words, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Righteousness, meaning we are legally declared not guilty before God, as well as we've been given all the righteousness of Christ in return to our account. All the perfection of Christ is given. So on the cross, he took on our shame, our humiliation. In exchange, we are given his righteousness, his right standing, and God the Father remembers our sin no more. Sanctification. In Christ, we grow. We grow not by focusing on ourselves, but on Jesus. He enables us to grow. We are changed by his word, which is truth. He is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in us. Redemption. Think slavery. The idea is that we've been purchased to permanent freedom. We have been bought with a price, and that price was Christ crucified. And so we've been set free from sin, set free not so that we could return to it, but so that we could worship Him, serve the Lord, love and serve others wholeheartedly. In Christ, we've been given everything we need. He is our everything, He is our salvation our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. And when we are tempted to believe otherwise, when we are tempted to wonder about our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, we point back to Christ crucified, to the cross when we are tempted to wonder if the cross was enough to pay the price for our sin or if god has forsaken us or left us alone or if we will ever we will always battle the sin and maybe never overcome it we are tempted when we are tempted to believe such lies crucified and the cross changes everything brothers and sisters consider your calling not many were wise from a human perspective not many powerful not many of noble birth instead god has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Crosspoint, may we be a people who do not boast in us, our wisdom, our power, but in our God, because God is in the business of using ordinary people to do extraordinary things because it's His Holy Spirit at work. Ordinary people who have been called out of darkness into light, into a mission alongside one another, a mission that we only get to play out this side of heaven. In the first five verses of chapter 2, what Paul is saying about himself, just like he gave a a humble assessment of the Corinthian people, he's giving a humble self-assessment of himself, saying that he himself boasts in the Lord as well. He writes, chapter 2, verses 1-5, through When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you. I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words, wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom but on God's power. He's reminding them, In the 18 months that he was with them, they began to trust and follow Jesus, not because of Paul, but because the power of the Lord at work through Paul. That the Lord used his humble speech, his preaching, that the Lord worked in spite of Paul's weakness and fear. And what the people saw, what they heard, caused them to move their trust away from human wisdom and place it in the personal work of Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, the Lord is not asking you to go and make disciples in your own strength, but in His. He's not asking you to rely upon your persuasion, but rather on your prayerfulness as He saves and does the work, relying upon His power. He's asking you to forsake depending upon yourself and instead depend upon the Spirit who is in you and working through you. May we, as His people, simply be found faithful to show and tell of the good news of jesus and god will cause the growth lord jesus thank you that you are the fullness of grace and truth thank you for being our righteousness our sanctification our redemption thank you for purchasing us back from slavery setting us free all by grace alone and through faith alone lord jesus i pray that you'd bring about salvation today Move people to trust in you and you alone. Wake up spiritual sleepers. Bring them to life in you. Thank you for being our sure and steady cornerstone. In our weakness, may your power be displayed. In our lives, may we pursue your wisdom and, uh, and align our lives by it. May we depend upon you. Give us a growing humility that seeks to be formed by your wisdom and dependent upon your power. Enable our minds, hearts, lips, and lives to boast in you, to glorify you, to make much of you, Jesus. We love you. We're devoted to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Father, thank you that your kingdom is not of this world. It is upside down. Enable us by your Spirit's power to live counterculturally trusting in you and being a light for you to be an ambassador a witness a testimony for you thank you for the opportunity we have to gather outside today to enjoy lunch together i pray that you would bless that fellowship thank you to to those who brought food who are serving behind the scenes so we can enjoy that fellowship thank you for our sound team thank you for sustaining audio this morning. And God thank you that your word is is eternal. It's continuing to change lives. I pray that you would strengthen the church of God at Cross Point as we fellowship together. We love and trust you in Jesus name. Amen.